Amen. You may just take your seats and uh, let's just jump into the word tonight. Uh, and as we do so, I just want to really thank all of you guys for just taking it out and being here every night, especially in this very unusual cold spell in Georgia. Uh, it's been very, very cool for the past couple of weeks, uh, but nonetheless, you guys have been faithful. And I pray that God will reward your faithfulness in Jesus' name. And that the expectations of the righteous shall not be cut off. And already, just so you know, I'm getting testimonies as to what God is doing among us already since we began. And we will bring those testimonies to you at the appropriate time. Uh, We share one on Sunday morning. Uh, And I'm saying that just so you'll be encouraged. You'll be encouraged. God is moving and the wagons are coming. They're on the way. Amen? Amen? John chapter 12. John chapter 12, 12th day, 12th chapter. Just so we can see the connection here in John 11, last verse there, verse 57. Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it, that they might seize him. That's not, that's, they don't have good plans for him. <laughs> they want to seize him. They just don't want to take him. They want to seize him. Amen? With that in mind, chapter 12, verse 1, then, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. Now, you, you, in, in putting all of this in perspective, this is the final week of the Lord Jesus Christ on earth in this particular dispensation of his ministry. We are moving into the final week, six days before Passover. Now, Passover, uh, just so you, uh, I don't want to just gloss it. This is the most important, most significant festival or celebration among the Jews. Back in the Old Testament, God gave them three major ones. Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacle. But the Passover is the, is, the, is, the, is the foundation upon which the other two are built. Passover here is symbolical of the exodus of the Israelites out of Egypt. If you remember the story in Exodus chapter 12, Exodus chapter 14, whereby God through Moses, instructed Israel to take a lamb out from among their flock. A lamb for a household on the 10th day of the month, the month of Nisan. And that for four days, they were to examine that lamb to make sure that it met the sacrificial threshold. It must be without spot, without blemish, certifiable so, and then on the 14th day, they want to kill it. When they killed it, they want to take the blood and use uh, hyssop or hyssop deep into the basin where the blood is and apply the blood on the doorpost and the lintel of their household. And that all the Jews were to remain indoors because at midnight, the death angel was going to pass over Egypt and any household where the blood was not on the doorpost and the lintel, 
death will visit the house. So the only thing that kept death away was the blood at the door. Now, please keep this in mind. Back then in Exodus, up to that junction, up till that time, God had showed Pharaoh all kinds of other miracles. Frog, blood, uh, lies, hailstone. I mean, plague after plague after plague. Pharaoh would say, you can go. No, you don't go. You can go. You don't go. But when the blood was applied, as instructed by God, on that day, Israel was free. And they marched out of their houses. Began to march towards the destiny that God had ordained for them and they never turned back. So much so that when Pharaoh changed his mind and said, wait a minute, what did I do? What came upon me? Why would I allow my entire labor force to be freed and leave? And he pursued them. But because of the commitment that the blood had secured, Numbers chapter 10, the Bible says, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night became the guide who led this delivered people day by day by day towards their promised land. Now, I'm sharing this background because you need to understand God's commitment to you. Not only did he set them free, he became the custodian of their protection, of their provision, of their direction, all through their wilderness journey. He led them in the way. He took ownership and responsibility to say, you know what, you are going to a place you've never been. But I will guide you. Just follow me. Can you see the light? Yes. The pillar of fire. Just follow it. And when the enemy chose to pursue them after them, God said, don't worry about it. You did not initiate your deliverance. Therefore, you will not need to initiate your protection. And it's amazing to me. The Bible said, and we are not, we, we, we have not read the passage in Exodus 14, that the pillar which was in front of Israel that led them to the Red Sea lifted and came and stood between the Israelites and Egyptians. And to the Egyptians, it was darkness. And to the Israelites, it was day. The same pillar. Please pay attention because nobody instructed the pillar what to do. Nobody gave him the counsel or the direction. Say, pillar, be dark to the Egyptians and light to Israel. All on his own accord, as long as they followed him. And he took ownership for their protection. He took care of them. Opened the waters, you know the story. They marched on dry ground. The Egyptians pursued them and waters covered them up. Destroyed. Destroyed. Now, as a memorial of that, God said every year since that deliverance, Every year on the anniversary of that event, every year going forward, wherever you may be in Israel, you guys come back to Jerusalem and celebrate the anniversary. Why is that important? Because God wants you to recall. 
He wants a memorial. Here in the U.S. in May, we do Memorial Day celebration. We honor all our wonderful servicemen and women for the sacrifice and what they did to secure our freedom and our liberty. And we thank God for that. America is great for doing that. But my friend, it pales in comparison to what God has done for us. And God not wanting his people to forget. He said, every year, you mark it. Come back to Jerusalem, whether you are in Galilee, Benjamin, God, Zebulon. It does not matter where you live. That once a year, it was a national holiday. Everybody come together and celebrate it. Now, six days before Passover, now, Jesus was acutely aware that way back in Exodus, the lamb that was slain, whose blood was applied to the doorpost and the lintel, only pointed to that day when he, Jesus, the lamb of God, that we are told was slain from before the foundation of the earth, he was acutely aware that from from Exodus leading up to that time, that every lamb that has ever been slaughtered pointed to him. But not only that, we are told according to history that on the Passover in Israel, at least this last Passover that Jesus was a part of, there were no less than 250,000 lambs slaughtered on that one day. No, you don't understand it. Let, let, let me explain. No, 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 you don't. You don't. And I don't expect for you to understand it. Say so you live in Lawrenceville. Jerusalem is not bigger than Lawrenceville. Small, small, very small. This whole real estate that's creating all the news that you hear every night, tiny. So picture in your mind, all of a sudden tomorrow morning, 250,000 lambs all over the streets being dragged to a temple because it's a lamb for a household, about 2.7 million Jews at that particular time. So as Jesus, in chapter 12, verse 1, is walking to Bethany, is aware that every Jew is looking for a lamb to slaughter. Not only is he aware of it, he's looking at the lambs being dragged. He's seeing them. Everybody getting their own lamb. It's time for festival. Let's go get our own lamb. Only missing within his thought, wow, they're going to kill another lamb. And the lamb is standing. Totally lost to the mind and imagination of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all the other Jewish priests and leaders who were so preoccupied about killing the physical lamb and not recognizing that the, the lamb was standing right in front of them. Yes. So with that background, he came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus, one of those who sat at the table, but Lazarus was, okay, I'm sorry, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Go with me to Luke chapter 10 for a minute. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. You see, John chapter 12 here gives us, if we can, if we can, if we can say this, it gives us a picture of the church. And just give me a few minutes to, to develop it. It gives us a picture of the church. John chapter 12. The foundation of the church is what? Being born again. Passover. You cannot be a part of the church unless you partake of Passover. In other words, you cannot be a part of the church that Jesus is building unless you are born again. So being born again is a foundation 
that must be in place in every one of our lives to be a part of the church. Okay? But let's just go to Luke chapter 10 for a moment and then I'll, I will deal with this. In verse 38, now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken from her. So we see Jesus and Martha have an encounter here in Luke chapter 10. Where Martha was serving and she felt like Mary, her sister, should have been of help. And because Mary seemingly was not involved in what Martha was doing, she lodged a complaint. But not only did she make a statement of complaint, she implored Jesus, tell her to get involved. Last night, we saw in John 11, where Jesus, well, first of all, first of all, back in Luke chapter 10 here, Jesus gave Martha a very gentle or mild rebuke. Martha, you are worried about too many things. Chill, in other words. Don't be so concerned about all of that. You see, your sister, not only did Jesus rebuke her, notice this. If I was to do this, half these guys would leave the church. Notice what she, he did. He gave her a mild rebuke and then made a comparison. You see, Greg, you are fine if I'm correcting you and just dealing with just you. But when I begin to say, Greg, now look at Brad Tundelo here. Now come, look at, I mean, you, you are, look at, look at Tundelo here. If I'm just talking to you, well, maybe you can take it. But when I now go and say, look at, are you not the same man like this guy? Last night, Jesus made the point to help us understand the dynamics of not only just the local church, but of relationships. Because now last night, after she had been rebuked in Luke chapter 10, the point was made specifically to say Jesus loved Martha and her, oh, well, who is that? Her sister. So you see, the person who received the rebuke yesterday is the same person that was being loved today. In fact, the, 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 the real point is, even as the rebuke was taking place, the love was still there. This is important. The point I'm trying to make here, if I can make it, God can help me to make it. Because in John chapter 12 now, we are told in verse 2 that there they made him a supper and matter served. My friends, notice what is absent this time. Martha did not complain about Mary. In Luke chapter 10, she served with, with complaint. I don't know why pastor is asking me again to go and pick up the chair. Am I the only one here? <laughs> Every time mommy needs a drink from the fridge, they're going to call me. Am I the only child? And we grudgingly oblige, but we rebel on our hearts. So Jesus corrected her. Jesus loved her. In thereby fulfilling Hebrews chapter 12, that whom God loves, he chastens. 
But the good thing about this is, the Bible tells us that those chastening, even though it's not pleasant for the moment, that it always brings a peaceable fruit of righteousness. What is that peaceable fruit of righteousness? John chapter 12. Because after the correction and the loving, the grace that released that love says to you, you know what? Oh man, I feel so bad about what I did. How I hurt my Lord. So now, having brought that rebuke to me, I'm going to make an effort to do better. I'm in fact better than that. So rather than get upset and get wounded and get hurt and get bitter, I am going to be, I'm going to show that I'm in fact, I've received the grace to be better and live above that. So I'm not doing better because I've grown. I'm doing better because I'm loved. You need to get that. You see, we've been talking about this love thing. You don't get it. And I'm praying that we will understand it. Because that's the essence of the whole grace message. If you don't understand that God loves you, and that you are not getting result because of your effort, God is not loving Martha because he's serving better now. No. God loved her when she was messing up. And now, as a result of a gentle, graceful, loving rebuke, the grace was releasing her to come up higher. That's what grace does. This is what I'm convinced. And I'm going to deal with this more on Sunday morning. Those of us that are still struggling with the sin issue and the sin factor, we really don't understand the grace of God. Because when we understand it, the, 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 the notion or the fear that because people talk about grace, it makes somebody sin, that's far from the truth. Jesus said it about Mary Magdalene in one of the other Gospels. When she came in and broke the alabaster box and began to just expand that precious, costly perfume on him, and the Pharisees began to just complain, what is wrong with this woman? Does he know that this woman is a, was a prostitute? Why will he allow a prostitute before his side? Not only that, to be spending this kind of lavish fragrance on him. Jesus said something. He said because she has been loved much, she cannot reciprocate and give love more. In other words, when I'm a recipient of God's grace, and I understand the love that purchased the grace for me. Yes. Every sin that plagued me, plagued past it. I am praying and believing God to be far removed from it. Why? I don't want to hurt the one that loved me. Yes, that is a greater motivation to live holy and to live right than out of fear. Yes. Ah. I can tell you, I have a far better life now than I did last week. That is a fact. You can put that in the history books. Why? Because I'm growing in my knowledge of who God is. I'm growing in my knowledge of the grace of God. I'm growing in my knowledge, understanding, and grasp of the love of God. Yes. And what it does for me, it frees me. I'm free. Wow. It's so quiet in this place. So we are seeing the church. Because in every church, there must be serving. People must serve. We need martyrs serving in the church. But we need martyrs serving with the right attitudes. 
They are not to serve pointing fingers at other people that they think are not doing what they should be doing. Who makes you a judge of anybody else? So we need masters in the church. People who have been born again, who loves God, and who have been placed in it, gifted rather, and they are using their gift to serve the body and to serve the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. So, not only was Martha there, we are also to the Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. And as you recall, Lazarus was just raised from the dead in the 11th chapter. There's a lot that can be said about that. In a way, he rose from the dead physically, we know that. But in a, another way, symbolically, he's speaking about you and I who were dead in our trespasses. Whom now he had quickened. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying to us? So now, Lazarus, what is your role in this John chapter 12 that we're saying typically can be to church? It's a witness. It's a witness. How do I know that? Let me read it for you. John chapter 12, verse 9. Look at what it says. Now, a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they must also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also. Why? Because on the account of him, Lazarus, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. So Lazarus was a threatening witness. And therefore, because he was a witness, he became a problem for these leaders as much as, much as Jesus was. So, Je- so Jesus now has multiplied their problems. And that is what he's looking to do with you and I. He went to the grave, he was buried, rose again from the dead, gave you and I the opportunity to become born again, and in so doing, multiply himself, so that even though the devil thought they had just one Jesus to contend with, now they have billions of Jesuses all over the earth, being a witness. And the amazing thing here is when we look at scriptures, in Acts 1, and you shall receive power, after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall do what? Be my witnesses. Ha! Huh. What is Lazarus doing here? Was he saying anything to anybody? No. You can be a witness by saying something. Definitely. But in this church, in this case, just his presence. Just sitting. Like the blind man I said, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I don't know your theology. I don't know about exegesis. All I know is I was once blind, now I see. In Lazarus' case, I was once dead, now I'm alive. Just by being there, without having to open his mouth, this confirms the words of the Apostle Paul. That we are written a piece read by of all men. I don't have to open my mouth unless it's necessary. But when people see me, how I be, I be a witness. I'm not talking witnessing. I be a witness in my activities, in my action, the way I carry myself, the work I do, the excellence around me, the radiance on my face. When they see me move and walk and talk, when they see my 
personality. All of a sudden, they say, wait a minute now. The Tunde lawyer I knew 15 years ago. Something is happening to this guy. Something is changed about him. What's this glow all about? He's always smiling, always encouraging somebody, always lifting somebody up. What's happened to you today? Tell me! So Lazarus became a threat that the elders never thought or imagined. So all of a sudden, they have to have a second plan. The APB is already out. Go arrest Jesus. And while they are still plotting on what they're going to do with that, here comes Lazarus. So you have a church that's been birthed out of Passover. You have a mother serving in the church. You have a Lazarus who is an ever-living witness in the church and outside of the church because by the mere presence of his life, of him just being alive and just being around, is a witness. But is that all we need in the church? No. No. John chapter 12, verse 3. Then Mary took a pan of very costly oil of spikenard anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her ear and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Filled with the fragrance of the oil. So you have serving essential thing that must take place in the church. You are witnessing Lazarus an essential ingredient of the church. Here with Mary you have the dimension of worship. 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 Church will not be anything if we don't worship. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. What are we gathered to do? Worship. But it is very significant here to understand what Mary did. There are three Marys we've seen in the scriptures. We saw the Mary that stood at the cross when Jesus was being crucified. We see this Mary who's anointing her with oil now. And we saw the other Mary at the tomb. Each one of the Marys was in one way or the other associated with his death and burial. Each one of them. Each time they appeared. It has to do with something. It has to do with the death and the burial. What's the point? Every Jew understood that when a person died, in fact, I don't know if that's why, that's why some of these African traditions came from. To die in Israel back in the day was a big deal. Ho, 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 ho. Big deal. I mean, the spices that was compounded to embalm and to anoint the dead in Israel can break the bank. It was a serious business. And so, Jesus entered Jerusalem this portion week knowing that he was about to go and die. And of all, oh, by the way, you need to know that Daniel chapter 7 actually prophesied this event to the date. That's another story by itself. So, here we are with Jesus He's about to go and die. He knows the time has come. He's moving ever so gradually towards that cross. And it comes to this house 
And there was someone there designing enough while all the noise and all the clamoring was going on and they were fighting, we're going to stone him, we're going to kill him, we're going to arrest him. She was designing enough to know, aha, this must be the moment that the prophet prophesied. I want to be a part of this. And she went and got the most expensive oil spikenard that she can ever lay her hands on. Oh, by the way, we must understand, worship that don't cost you anything, it's not worship. No, it's not worship. Listen, when you look at Bible history, and I'm not talking about commentaries, I'm talking about scriptures itself. When Abraham said, I'm going to go to the mountain and worship and come back. Hello? Did you not know somebody's life was on the line? And the life on the line was not some life that was expendable. It was the life of his own son. The only son he had. So tell me that worship is cheap. Well, no, don't tell me because I may not even... Go tell Abraham that. Or God who gave his only begotten son. Tell him that worship is cheap. So the point here is Mary did not go and just go to Kmart and buy the cheapest fragrance on the counter and come and know Jesus with it. No. Jesus was aware that every dead man in Israel needed to be anointed for burial. But he knew that in his case he was only going to be in the ground for three days. So the anointing for burial that normal people who died forever received wouldn't do him any good. In other words, give me my rose when I can smile it. Don't come out here crying and mourning and groaning when somebody says casket and they don't have an idea what you did. So Jesus said, listen, yes, get with it. Bring it on. Anoint me. Bless me with this. Let me smell it. Let me partake of it when I can appreciate it. But the amazing thing for me is just to know how this woman, well, I shouldn't be amazed. He, she had sat at his feet. Hey, hey. Monday they came Shokorobo. She had downloaded from his software the things that were happening that everybody around would not catch. So she knew this is it. I'm not going to miss this time. Worship. So we have serving, we're witnessing, we have worship. Now, if you were here with us, when we did John chapter 10, let me just go back for a minute. Because I need to connect it now and move forward. I'm looking at the time. John chapter 10. Uh, yes, verse 16. Ah, no, 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 no. This God is too much. This God is too much. Look at John 10, 16. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring. And they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. John chapter 12. If this church is going to be complete, if this is the church that God is building, it cannot be just a Jewish church. Jesus gave the hint in John chapter 10. I have another flock that are not of this folk. In other words, I have others that are not Jewish. The Gentiles are coming. I wonder how he knew that. Because in Matthew at the time of his birth, when the scribes and the Pharisees and the priests were scratching their heads, trying to find out where we were born, 
those in the east already knew. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They already knew, and they came with gifts to worship him. Yes. So is it not fitting now? If they came at his birth, that the same spirit that awakened them to know that a king is born, is it not befitting that that same spirit will unlock them? That finally you are about to be admitted to the church that the star came to create. And so now in this passion week, when the rest were looking to kill him, look what happened. John chapter 12. Verse 20. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Say the Greeks are coming. Say the Greeks are coming. Say the Greeks are here. We are the Greeks of God. Thank God that God factored us into this equation. Hallelujah. For God so loved the world, not just the Jews. For God so loved the world, not just the United States. For God so loved the world, not just Africa. God loved the world. And gave him son, his son for the world. Now, there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Now, you have to ask yourself the question. What in the heck were the Greeks doing at the feast? This is the feast of the Jews. Time will not permit me to glean that completely but just fast forward to the book of Acts remember the Ethiopian eunuch folks God is gathering his own people from the north the south the east and the west and there is nothing the devil can do about it it's too bad for the devil let's leave that alone but you remember when we were dealing with uh, John chapter was it chapter 2 or chapter 3 when Jesus or was it chapter 1 when it sent those guys out of the temple, when it overturned the tables of the money changers, we are just at that time that that particular place where that happened was where the Gentiles were allowed to come. Is it possible that on the day Jesus did that, these Greeks took notice? What kind of authority is this? That this guy will come through here, overturn the tables, whip everybody, and send them out. Who is this man? And they were only waiting for the opportunity to come back again. Let's close it up. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethesda of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. I don't like the New King James for this one. I'm telling you. The original King James. Sir, we desire that we see Jesus. First, there must be a desire. They just didn't want to see him they desired it. Understand the context here. Up to this point, none of these guys wanted anything to do with Jesus. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. These foreigners, Greeks, traveled God knows how many thousands of miles. And when they came to their church, they did not come for a miracle healing crusade. They were not concerned about prosperity. They were not concerned about healing. Their only desire was singular. With desire 
nothing else. But please, let us behold him, the Emmanuel, the God in the earth, the Alpha and the Omega, the one that we saw at the beginning of his birth. Please, we don't want any fanfare, no drama, no miracles, no prosperity. I just want to see him. I don't know about you tonight, but I have a hunger. I have a thirst that nothing on this earth can satisfy. It's not about diamonds. It's not about gold. It's not about silver. But I'm telling you, if you give me Jesus any day, I guarantee you, it will satisfy. Up to this time, Jesus told everybody, my time is not. My hour has not come. My hour has not come. My time is not. Finally, he found a people who were not concerned about themselves. Whose singular focus and concern is to just behold him. Oh, God help us. To behold his beauty. And finally, when they came, we just want to see you, Jesus. Yes. He said, oh, my hour has come. Yes. For the first time, Jesus acknowledged that this band of foreigners who had no ulterior motive, who had no motivation other than to want to see him, he said, you are the reason for which I've been sent. Finally, he says to them, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. The same message he's been trying to give for three years that he did not listen to. I want to tell you something tonight. Wherever God finds people who are passionate for him, who wants him for who he is, know what we can get out of him whenever he finds people who will appreciate him for the essence of his being and not just call him an ATM machine yes yes wherever God finds such a people he reveals himself yes here I am yes the hour has come that the son of man should be glorified most assuredly I say to you unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Ah, I can't touch that. We'll have, we have to go home. Just one last verse. Verse 32. Verse 32. And I, if I'm lifted up from the earth, we draw all papers myself. And I, if I'm drawn up from the earth, or rather, if I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men. And that one transition says, and I don't want to say all people so to myself. What is he just saying? Those guys that heard him that day, they understood exactly what he was saying. You see, when you put a man or a person on the cross, the cross is on the ground. An individual is placed on that cross and nailed. If it remained just on the ground, it may last a little while longer. But when that cross is now lifted up, 
that's when all the pressure and the pain sets in. So Jesus is helping them understand the process. They're going to lay me on the ground. Nail me to the cross while I'm on the ground. But if I be lifted up and become the cross that we've seen all around us, those images, he said, then I will draw all men. What am I saying to us? We have meetings here. We've had councils. We have leadership counseling where we're saying, how do we reach young people? How do we reach the young adults? How do we reach the adults? How do we reach this person or that person? Jesus is saying to us, there's only one message. Only one message. And if you preach this one message, you reach all peoples. You reach the young and the old. The black and the white. Africans, Americans, no matter anywhere you go in the world, you only have one message. This message is the message of the cross. It is cross-generational and it is cross-cultural. Every man that's ever been born can appreciate the fact that God so loved you. He took your place and allowed the wrath of heaven to come upon his son just so you can be free. Everybody understands that. So he said, if I be lifted up, if you guys go through with this, if you lift me up on that cross, you're finished. Because with this one master stroke, I will draw all men unto me. And since then, over 2,000 years ago, Jesus has been doing just that. God, thank you tonight for the powerful message of the cross. We are studying, but we still can't comprehend it. Why a holy, mighty, awesome, fantastic God will look down and say, you want us to be partners in your kingdom. Father, we cannot comprehend it. Nevertheless, we receive it, we accept it, we believe you, and we thank you. Our only response tonight is thank you. Thank you that you did not leave us to perish in darkness, in our sin. Thank you for delivering us, breaking the chains and the bondage of sin and darkness and wickedness and evil over our lives. Thank you for the precious blood of Jesus Christ that you shed on Calvary. Paid the price in full for a ransom. Oh God, we thank you. And Lord Jesus, because you paid the price in full, we receive the fullness. The fullness. We thank you right now. By your spirit, you are directing us. You are guiding us. You are leading us. You become the pillar of cloud within our spirit that is leading us and echoing us on. In the name of Jesus, we thank you that your word will be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, we bless your name tonight. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, God. Oh, God. We bless you. We bless you. If we had a thousand tongues, we could not worship you enough. If we wrote a thousand songs, 
it would never be enough. What a God is this? You are the Lord God all by yourself. Besides and apart from you, there's none else. None can be compared with you. Oh, Jehovah, how great you are. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you, Holy Spirit. Watch over your people. Quicken us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your promises, which are all yes and amen in Christ Jesus. We embrace them tonight. We thank you. We thank you that every impossibility for us is possible in you. And so we embrace the possibility, the unlimited possibility of God. And tonight, Father God, by the virtue of that blood, we touch and we agree in faith for healings manifested in the body of your people. In the name of Jesus, this is the reason for which you went to the cross. So tonight, in the name of Jesus, we take our hold. We receive the manifestation for which you died. In the name of Jesus, we receive healings in our mind, healings in our body, healings in our spirit. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we curse poverty and lack. In the name of Jesus, Jesus, you were made poor that out of your poverty, we might become rich. And so, Lord, we thank you for the deliverance of those wagons. The wagons are coming and we receive our portion, our inheritance. In the name of Jesus, thank you, Father. Lord, we bless you, we praise you. Thank you for a work that's done, that's completed. And Jesus will forever give you the honor and the glory. Recognizing that no, 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 no flesh shall glory in your side. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.